before we get started, I wanted to tell you that um, there was a wonderful woman who would sit a few rows back um, with very white hair, like a snow-capped mountain, um, and She passed away on Tuesday, um, and she was like a snow-capped mountain here. Her presence was felt. Um, I called her Grandma Gloria. Um, some of you guys did as well. Um, and for the last seven months, she craved to be where we sang about in that song. God be my vision, be my delight. And she's experiencing that now. And she would ask, David, I don't understand why God is not taking me yet. And I just told her, there's still something left for you to do. And she was faithful to the end. And uh, it was, it's, it's a beautiful story to watch. Um, my mother, for seven months, took care of her day and night. And it was just a beautiful testimony of um, what faith will do. To a family, to a household, to a woman. So there's no funeral scheduled yet. I will let you know when that is going to be. Um, but I'm going to pray. And I think she wants to come up here and pray with me. We'll see what happens. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we do thank you for the life of Gloria. And we do pray that as we open up your word, that we would see you, that you would be our vision, our glory, our delight, you and you alone, above all things, that your majesty would put us in awe of you, and we would be just laser focused seeing you, everything else would fade to the background. Give us that as we open your word, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about forgiveness. Withholding forgiveness is a tactic that many of us use to get people to live the way we want them to live. Withholding forgiveness is a tactic that we use to let people know that we're mad at them. And when you withhold forgiveness from somebody, it is not only damaging to that person, it, is, it appears to be far more damaging to you. So do you hold sins, hang sins over other people? Like, like you know that mortgage bill that comes in the mail every month? Like, are you holding people's sins over their head, reminding them of that bill, that, like that bill that comes in once a month, that debt that must be paid? And are you charging interest, like racking up this debt so one day you could cash it all in and say, hey, you remember all those things you did to me? It's time for me to cash in now. Is it hard for you to forgive? John Hopkins Medicine released an article entitled Forgiveness 
Your health depends on it. Listen to what it said. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health. Lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, anxiety, depression, and stress. Forgiveness does that. And then it went on and it said those who forgive are more satisfied with their lives. They have overall improved health. So it turns out the Bible's right. There's this idea called shalom in the Old Testament. We translate it as peace. But it means flourishing in absolutely every way. Flourishing spiritually, emotionally, socially, culturally, and physically. It means that Christians, if we would take our faith seriously and take forgiveness seriously, then we actually ought to be more healthy than the rest of the world. And then the article goes on and it tells people how to forgive. Here are the steps in order to forgive people. And so it seems that the medical professionals have become the new priests of the day. And this is actually very true, and it sh we should be hearing it as a bit of a warning here. Because it seems that we're using that to give us confidence that the Bible's true. It's like we have a greater authority than the Bible now. Maybe the medical professionals. And we're allowing them to tell us, oh yeah, it looks like the Bible is right. It should, it should concern us a little bit. What is your ultimate authority? Right there. Scripture. And it turns out it's right. You should forgive. And then there's this idea about forgiving yourself. It sounds powerful. Only it doesn't work. There is no replacement to hearing words from the living God who made you and created you. It's okay. I've forgiven you and I have made a way. You are now free. Did you hear that? Do you live like someone who is free? Are you free? What Jesus teaches about us about this parable today will do more than just improve your physical health from forgiveness. It will bring heaven to earth and catapult you into eternity right now. Today, we're looking at this parable of the unforgiving servant where Jesus commands us to forgive others. So open up your Bible. It should be on the screen as well. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Here we go. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Then he tells the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him 
forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until the, he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him, he said to him, you wicked servant, I gave you all that, forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will, for, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. First point, the cost of debt. If you have never declared spiritual bankruptcy, today is your day to do it. The debt that we have before us, this debt of sin that you have in your life, it is too great for you to pay back to God. The parable of the servant says he owed the master or the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. One talent is worth 20 years of wages. So in our area, our little area of the world, the average household income is $75,000. So if you take that times 20, that's $1.5 million. And then you've got to multiply that by 10,000. So if you take out your Apple calculator on your phone and you punch that number in, your phone doesn't know what to do with that number. It's too big. That's the point of the story. There is absolutely no way you will be able to pay back the debt of sin that you have in your life. It's an infinite number. And if you have been forgiven infinitely by God, you should forgive infinitely to others. Now, this is not a parable about reconciliation. That's different. When someone comes to you and says, will you forgive me? Your answer has to be yes, if you have been forgiven infinitely. Now back to you, the cost of debt. You can try to take all the good deeds that have been done over all the earth since the earth has been around and take them all, steal them from all of humanity, claim them as yours and offer them to God as a way to atone or to pay the debt of sin that you have and it still will not be enough. When I first became a pastor, it was very fun for me because I would see people from high school and they would say, what are you, David, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, oh man, I'm a pastor. What? Yeah, I know. So I specifically saw someone from high school at a music festival and he said, oh, David, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a pastor. And then he looked at me really seriously and he said, you know what, David? I would go to church if there was a way for me to do something good. But just listening 
to sermons and just singing songs. I need a way to atone for my sins, and that's not going to do it. And that statement has rung like a bell in my mind, in my heart, over all of our area, over all of the world, as to why people misunderstand what Christianity is all about. There's not enough good that you can do to outweigh the bad. But we have that in our mind. We tell ourselves, for every nine lies, I'm going to tell ten truths, and then I'm good. For every nine times that I gossip about someone behind their back, I'm going to tell them something good to their face ten times, and I'm good. There's a thing that writers will talk, will talk about if they're writing a novel. If they write a character into a story, if you want to make someone not like that character, just have the first thing they do come and kick a dog. As soon as they do that, instantly you will hate that character. So we say to ourselves, as long as we are not people who kick dogs, we're good. I think cats are maybe a gray area. Just don't kick a dog, and you're in. But our verses would say to us, there are not enough dogs in the world to pet or to rescue to make up for your debt. So it seems the Bible sees us as more corrupt than we see ourselves. And if that's the case, maybe we need to be a little bit open-minded and investigate what that's all about. And then on top of that, just on top, top of the corruption, the Bible says one sin, just one. It marks you. And that mark shuts the gates of eternity, leaving you closed out. One mark, one sin. One sin that you deposit into the world is like a check cashed for the gates of death. One sin reveals that you are in rebellion and at war with the God who made you. You say, come on, I'm not at war with God. I don't say things like that. In the eyes of God, who sees your heart just as it is, that's what he says you are. He says you're in rebellion. You're in treason. You want to commit tyranny and remove him from the throne. And, you know, here's what it's all about, to be honest with you. Sin, it's a lack of seeing the beauty and wonder and awesomeness of God. Because that's the kernel of it. That's the start of everything that you do that's messed up. That's your kernel. Because if you see God and you're in wonder, awe at his majesty you can't turn away from him and you say god how should i live and as soon as you do something different than the way you know he would have you live it's clear that you don't think he's so wonderful and so the kernel problem for you is you don't think god's so great so it leads you down another path sin is being blind to the beauty of god and then the bible says the wages of sin is death. So what do we do? I mean, if the fire is approaching and we are banging on the gates of heaven to let us in and it's not opening, what will you do as the fires approach? Are the gates shut forever 
Second point, the requirements of forgiveness. There's three requirements in the story. You got one, the plea for mercy. Second, the infinite loss that the son experiences, the cross. And then third, your willingness to forgive others. So first, plea for mercy. Notice the man in the story. When he comes to terms, like he hears the king and the king says, here's your debt. He knows he'll never be able to pay it back. But he says it anyways as a way to offer lip service. And that should be our first hint that this man is going to find his way back into prison. He never got it. If you go to God and say, God, I got this. I'm going to atone for my sins. I'm going to fix it all. If you say that, you will find yourself thrown in the fiery dungeons of death. The biggest problem, well, let's take karma. The biggest problem we have in our understanding of Christianity in America is, come back to me. We think God works like karma works. So we think, God, as long as my good outweighs the bad, we can pay God back with enough good stuff. If you see someone walking the streets as if they will find a way to atone for their sins, you have simply found a dead man walking. Your only response when you get the bill in the mail for your debt is to say, God, I'm sorry. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you'll say it, and you'll mean it, I promise you, he will forgive all. All of it, gone. You're free. That's the first requirement. And the second requirement is it's free because he absorbs the cost. Look at the story. God doesn't just forgive to forgive. In the story, this man, he has this debt. It doesn't just go away. The king has to absorb it. God doesn't just forgive without a cost. It costs him it costs him something of infinite worth. And that's why you have infinite forgiveness. His own son. Don't make the mistake of saying that God's love is unconditional. It's a lie. It's 100% a lie. And I know that you've believed it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not true. There is one condition, and that condition is Christ. Him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. And as soon as you embrace that truth, love is absolutely unconditional. It's relentless. It will not escape you no matter how far you run from it. It is yours. The condition is Christ. And the cost he must pay, which was the cross. And I want, to, I want you to know this. If the cost isn't paid, God will, fails to be God. And heaven is dissolved into the earth. It's nothing. Because just, justice is a requirement of God. 
And if you lessen his judgment to say, ah, there's no cost to be paid, well, then you lose the love of God because you lose the costly love that's displayed on the cross. And then that leaves you with a God that's not worthy of worship. It leaves you with a God who's not so magnificent in your eyes. But if it cost him everything, and if it was for you, that makes you drop to your knees. And that makes you stop with your sin. You have to hold both intention, the love of God and the justice of God. We've got to stop dampening the fiery anger of God towards sin. Because if you will see it lit and the fires as hot as they go, then you're going to see the cool love of God shield you from that fire. And then, and then alone do you begin to worship God. And if you're worshiping a God that is other than what I just described, you are not worshiping God. You are worshiping something you've created in your mind. Something lesser. Something that will never be able to deliver you. Something that will never set you free. Christ is the condition. In the story, the king takes the debt. So in Christianity, Christ takes the debt. The father loses the son. He's burned up. And then he rises. And then if your mind is saying to yourself, it's, oh, it's not that big of a deal because the father knew that the son was going to rise anyways. So it's not like, ah, no, the father had to heal the feel the full weight and measure of what he put his son through and the son had to feel the full weight and measure of what you were supposed to go through and absorb it make it his own the cost was paid his justice fans the flame that devours sin and his love his cool love keeps the flame off Paid the cost. Second requirement. Third requirement is your forgiveness of others when they sin against you. Now we're at the meat of the text. We're at the main idea. Those who have truly been forgiven will not withhold forgiveness from others. The debt of sin that people in this room or in your life have sinned against you is nothing compared to the debt of sin that you have built up against God. It's a big debt. God sees your heart with perfect 2020 vision. No, come on, stay with me. Perfect 2020 vision. And with that 2020 vision, he uses an instrument to test and see if you really know about forgiveness. And that test or instrument, she wants to play the piano. She's ready to get uh, worship started. She has been so moved. Her sins have been washed clean. The instrument that God uses to see if you really know what forgiveness is, is how you treat others who have done wrong to you. Will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? 
The Lord's Prayer says, forgive us as we forgive others, which doesn't mean if we forgive, we will be forgiven. It means if you've already been forgiven, you will forgive. It's simply proof that you've tasted the sweetness of forgiveness and your life becomes like a life that's filled with the aromas of a bakery that's filled with forgiveness. Like this room should smell of forgiveness in a spiritual sense, I suppose. We always have a lot of kids in here, so sometimes it smells a little bit different than a bakery. If we have felt the thrill of grace, and if we have been sobered up by mercy, we will no longer take the sins that people have committed against us and hold it over their heads. We will walk over to the cliff and let it fall into the abyss. We will set our friends, our family, the people who have sinned against us, we'll set them free of their debt if we understand the debt that we've been forgiven. If you're a Christian, you have no business not forgiving people after what you've been forgiven. It's like you receive the mercy and the grace and forgiveness, and then you give it. The same way, you're like, a, you're like soil. And as the seed of forgiveness drops into your heart, you grow with the thrill of grace into this beautiful tree that deposits fruit upon the ground. That in that fruit are the seeds of forgiveness that you offer the world around you. If you can't forgive, you might not be forgiven. Who do you need to forgive that you haven't forgiven yet? Not saying reconciliation. We're talking about forgiveness right now. The reality is all of us, we're dripping with sins that we have committed against people in this room, people in our house, people in our life. And those people are dripping with sins that they have committed against you. And you've got a whole arsenal of words that you can use to remind them of their sins. To enforce shame and guilt upon their lives. You can do it. But if you've been forgiven, you will forgive them and set them free. It's the way of faith. The three requirements. Ask for mercy. Plea for it. See the cost. It's Christ alone. And then third, forgive. And you could, you could sum those three things up with one word, faith. That's what faith is. And this faith will produce a society of forgiveness called the church. Look at the tragedy. The tragedy that falls on, this is our third point, a society of forgiveness. The tragedy that falls on those who can't forgive. Look at it. The man in the parable who can't forgive is thrown into prison. But his family was thrown in with him. Feel the weight of that for a second. We know in the Bible that the sins of the father do not transfer to the son. There's a Bible verse that says that. You got that, right? However, the sins of the father are like a branding iron that sear the sons of the father. Now, what, are, what does that mean? Well, look, look at me. 
the sins in your life affect more than just you. And there's wounds that you have. And if you don't feel the weight of forgiveness that you have from God, those wounds will fester and they will grow. And as they fester and grow, it will begin to affect not just you now, but the people around you. You'll start smelling of someone who can't be forgiven. And then you will project all of your frustrations that you have about not being forgiven upon the people that you love. And now your household is being affected. So parents, look at me. For the sake of your kids, receive the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And you, you can't really do it for your kids, you know? Like, it doesn't really work, but for their sake, do it. But it still doesn't work. And because here's what's going to happen. If you have not received the seed of forgiveness, it means there's no growth of forgiveness in your life. You might be able to do something that is a pale reflection of grace and forgiveness and mercy, but it will never be the real thing because you never received the seed first. If you receive the seed, then you have the fruit to give it to others. We need to get better at forgiveness. We need to forgive everyone around us. We need to receive it and forgive it and forgive others. And it will be painful. It's going to hurt really bad. You'll feel the cost. But what's the alternative? The alternative becomes your own destruction and corruption that you bring about in the world around you too. A society without forgiveness is a society that chokes their friends. Like we see this man do to his friend who had a far lesser debt that his friend committed against him than he had committed against the king and master. But he couldn't forgive the debt because he never really received the forgiveness. You can put an end to the pain and to the wounds. Your own pain your own wounds and the pain and wounds that you are causing by simply receiving forgiveness for yourself and then offering it to the people around you. It's the remedy. And so we ask, where is the kernel of this forgiveness? Where does the seed of it all start? And it, it requires only this. One seed to have entered the earth. And it causes a grove of forgiveness to sprout up until every nation, tribe, tongue, country, and household are changed. This is our last point. The one seed of forgiveness is Christ alone. And he was the seed that was buried into the depths of the earth, in the grave, into hell. And a grove of love burst up out like a spring after a way too long winter. So what should you do right now? Just receive the forgiveness. Be free. Just be free. Receive the one who wants to enter into your dead heart and there become the seed of life 
And as he springs up alive in you and you taste the sweetness of forgiveness, you bask in the glory of this sun that has risen upon you that now you know you're free. Bask in that and you will forgive the world around you. And now look, you hold words. The words of, I mean, the words of forgiveness are so powerful. They're so powerful, and you're withholding them from people. And, you're, and because you're withholding them, you're choking people. You're choking the life out of the kingdom of God and out of the, out of the kingdom coming and the people around you to let go of their necks. And the way it looks like letting go of their necks is by just simply saying, you are forgiven. I will no longer hold this over your head. Be free. The debt is gone. Forgiveness does not just make you physically healthy. It gives you an eternal joy now. The gates of heaven have been opened. And you enter in. And then you are a herald of forgiveness to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, you are rich in mercy. The cost of you sending your son, watching your son die, suffer the cross in hell and pain and torment for us. Let it overwhelm us. Let it overwhelm us so much so that we can't help but drop to our knees and worship. And then let us see you risen up out of the grave as our king who not only purchased our forgiveness, but gave us a life of freedom where we're fully alive. And God, if there's anyone in this room that is withholding forgiveness from someone, I pray that you would convict their heart and soul to go running out of these doors, call who they need to call, and say, it's okay. I love you, I forgive you. Help us do it, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.